More and more badass women are joining the ranks as highly skilled construction professionals. Construction and renovation projects wouldn't happen without the skills of the various crews involved. As we all know, the skilled trades have been male-dominated for like forever. In this season, I'm highlighting the amazing women doing their thing in the construction sector. Every journey and every story is different, but they are all inspiring. Have a listen as I learn about their stories. Hello and welcome one and all. Today I have Jamie McMillan on the show and she is one amazing lady. She became an iron worker in 2002 when women only represented 2% of the workforce across Canada and the United States. She thoroughly understands the struggles and challenges of working in a male-dominated workforce and is on a mission to break down the negative misconceptions and stereotypes. Through kick-ass careers, Jamie travels approximately 30 weeks a year providing engaging keynote presentations and workshops to more than 50,000 students, parents, educators, and employer each year across North America. Her efforts have gained international notoriety for opening doors and minds to the possibilities of well-paid careers in the skilled trades and technology sectors. Over the years, Jamie has received the top 20 under 40 award, making an impact in the mental health, sorry, in metal trades, the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Pro Program Champion Award, and the District Board of Niagara Technology Education Partnership Award for her commitment to youth in schools across the province of Ontario. No, that's not a mouthful, holy smokes. Um, and in 2018, she received the Hamilton YWCA Women, Women of Distinction Award for being a trailblazer, excelling in her field of promotion for leadership and equal advancement opportunities. In 2019, she was named the co-chair on a National Skilled Trades Advisory Committee to create a campaign to promote careers in skilled trades as a first choice pathway for youth um, across the, through, sorry, through the federal government by uh, our very own prime minister, Justin Trudeau. Uh, she continuously speaks professionally across North America and works on a variety of construction sites across the country whenever possible. And she enjoys helping out at homeless shelters for women and like whatever free time she might have left, she loves hanging out with friends, family, travels, climbs mountains and hikes uh, with her cat, Spud. Well, holy smokes, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited you're here today, Jamie. Uh, thanks for having me, this is awesome. Do you do you actually like recognize like how amazing all of that is? Like, like once you start writing down your accomplishments, they just add up like crazy, don't they? Yeah, it does. But to me, I just feel like it's just uh, everyday things I do. I don't feel that there's anything extra special or out of the ordinary. It's just the path I've chosen and the things I like to do. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, when you're doing stuff that's on purpose, it really does not feel like it's work, right? You're just doing you, which is like the most amazing thing ever if you can like mesh those two things together. So I, I want to get into <laughs> your advocacy and speaking roles and all that kind of stuff in a bit but I'm really curious as to what drew you into the trades to begin with and then why boiler making and then iron working okay well that's a it's a bit of a story I'll, I'll give you the really fast edited version of it I was a um, student with serious ADHD and learning disabilities I was picked on and bullied at an early age because of the learning disabilities that that inability to sit still caused so I was no stranger to being that person in the classroom that was disregarded um, 
And eventually in high school, I ended up excelling in shop programs and I hated everything else, but nobody promoted skilled trades to youth back then, specifically women. Um, and so even though I excelled in those classes, I was really failing in other important classes that we needed to graduate and dropped out of high school um, before I graduated. Um, that may, led me down a bit of a convoluted pathway. I like to say I hung out with the bad crowd, but really in hindsight, it wasn't the bad crowd. It was more the bored crowd. We just, nobody told us about these opportunities. I later went to school for my parents and took a nursing program as a mature student. I, I took the shortest program in the school um, and did that for a couple of years. I really excelled as, as a personal support worker until empathy kicked in. And when you start losing people that you feel like are your grandparents, great grandparents, yeah, it sucked. So then I went on another convoluted pathway. I left my little tiny town of Timmins, moved to the big city and just did this epic lifestyle that I thought was you know, amazing, but it was a really bad path to choose. And here I was 26, no, nothing to show for my name. I was living in an apartment, living paycheck to paycheck, spending all the money I was making as a bartender to try and cater to other people and just be, I wanted to be this popular person probably because I was picked on and bullied earlier on and uh, hit a wall. And when I hit that wall, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to get into nursing and use that as background. I didn't think I was smart enough or educated enough to go back to school. And I didn't have money to go back to school. Um, so I ended up very depressed and to a point where from the outside, people would have thought I was fine. But on the inside, I no longer wanted to exist mm. until one day I ended up moving to Hamilton, Ontario, where I am now. I was walking down the street, ran into a girl that asked me for a pen who turned out to be my high school nemesis from Timmins, which was really unusual because this is like a town 500 miles away. And now I'm in a town of half a million people where I know nobody. And the first person that shows up to say hi and ask for a pen happens to be the last person I got into a physical confrontation with in high school. Oh, um, yeah. She was an ironworker. Yeah. So she told me about the trade and I went and applied knowing nothing about it. I got a letter in the mail not long after basically saying that I was accepted to come in to do this test. It was addressed to Mr. McMillan because my name is Jamie. Um, I went quickly and studied up so that I could pass that test and the rest is history. Um, I started my ironwork apprenticeship in 2002, ended up working across the country on various jobs until I ended up working as a permit for the Boilermakers out West and decided I liked that career too and started a second apprenticeship. Wow. And then from there, everything just snowballed to what it is now. So dual ticketed. So for can you explain for those people who don't know, what is boiler making and what is iron working? Just like super high level. Because I mean, most people know what a plumber and electrical, you know, carpentry does, but some of these other ones are a little bit more unknown to people. Can you just give us a quick overview of what those are? Absolutely. So they're both uh, careers that are in the metal industry. So they include welding and fabrication of metal. Um, as an iron worker, I have my little skeleton here. So I always say that ironworking is like working on the skeletons of the bones and buildings that hold those structures in place. So we connect steel. So we'll do the steel uh, erection and maintenance. Um, we do a lot of welding and fabrication. And then as a boiler maker, we work on the organs and vessels of buildings. So imagine if you're working in a gas and oil plant, you need those vessels to filter that fuel and those tanks to store that fuel. So that's kind of like just the basic breakdown of what those two different trades are, but they work very closely together. Yeah, I mean, they are pretty much like hand in hand in a way, but 
very uh, two distinct uh, trade paths too. So it, it's kind of cool that you're able to be dual ticketed and, and go on either side of that. Um, yeah, it's so, amazing because of the transferable skills. That's yeah. what helps you transition. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so, you know, I, I heard you say that, you know, your path to the trades was a little bit convoluted and it was sort of mired in a little bit of, you know, personal struggle and that kind of thing. Um, do you feel that um, as a woman, your experience in the trades has been pretty positive in comparison to that? Or do you feel like once you got into the trades, there was still more sort of hurdles to overcome and things that you had to really struggle with and then there were like significant challenges or did you find that it was just a lot easier? Interestingly, I was raised in a family, my father was very uh, hands-on. Well, so was my mother. My mother was both academic and, and mechanical and my father was very mechanical. So they were always fixing up houses and doing that kind of stuff. My dad was a minor. Um, so I was the oldest girl out of three girls. So my dad, I was kind of like my dad's little, little boy almost. And so he taught me a lot of things and I did really good in shop classes because of it. Getting into the trades, I'm going to say saved my life. Now, am I, am I going to say it was, it's been an easy uh, pathway ever since? Absolutely not. I'm going to say that there's been struggles and challenges along the way. And yes, they're all the struggles and challenges that you hear about that everybody says, oh, this is what you're going to deal with in the construction industry. But what people fail to mention is those are the same struggles and challenges that we put up with our whole life in every yes. single industry. Yes. Every, I was in every, every, sector, and I, every sector. Yes, exactly. Like I had more there was more animosity and cat fights at work in the nursing field than I've ever experienced in the construction industry. But we all deal with the same things. It's humans. Humans are human. It's not, it's not specific to our jobs. It's specific to people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there is a, maybe a, a little bit, it's skewed a little bit in a different direction because it, you know, generally the trades are very male dominated. So like from a gender perspective, there's definitely, you know, a, visually you can just really tell the difference between groups of people but um you know a glass ceiling is a glass ceiling is a glass ceiling and no matter what you're what you're in um what sector you're in so yeah so within you know your early days your apprenticeship all that kind of stuff did you have any like really amazing mentors that um sort of brought you under their wing and like sort of helped to train you up and and treated you really well or did you just kind of have to forge ahead all all on your own and just figure a lot of stuff out? I'm going to say it was a bit of everything. I had those people who were extremely supportive and great, and they wanted to help you excel. Um, and I also had people that were really not so great. And it wasn't always specific to the fact that I was female. It was just specific to their types of personalities. And maybe it's because I was the younger person on site, or maybe it's because I didn't have any friends or family there, or there was different reasons for why people treated me differently. Um, but for the most part, I had some of the most epic mentors and I was the only girl on job site several times. So the people that did teach me happened to be my coworkers, and sometimes our relationships were a little skewed and we didn't always get along but we had to understand that when we walked into our workplace you have to check your feelings at the gate and you have to work together you have to have each other's back you have to try and work safely together whether you like each other or not and then when you leave work that day you don't have to worry about them or be concerned about how they feel as long as you do what you're required to do in the workplace that's that's what's most important yeah for sure so um, you know, 
we've talked a little bit about the fact that there's not a, a great number of women in the trades. I think the stat that I read off your bio is basically 2%. And I think it's gone up a little bit here and there, but really for, for women who are like physically on the tools, we're still at a really low number. And then of course it, it increases for more supportive style roles of men and you know management and all that kind of stuff. If you, if you look at the, the sector as a whole, but um, I know for myself, I found that um, not having other women in the shop that I was in, for instance, or whatever, it kind of was a little bit of a lonely experience from that standpoint. Um, so did you find the same thing or like, did you, were you able to reach out to other women in trades uh, in your community and sort of bond and like be able to you know, have a conversation about, you know, hey, I'm facing this challenge at work, or this is what was said, or what, you know, like, basically just this camaraderie that, you know, you would generally have in your life, that if you're the only person that's on site that's a woman, then it is a little bit more challenging that way. Yeah, yeah, and I, those times that I was on site as the only fam female, it wasn't always long periods of time, and it wasn't always really, really long jobs. For the most part, when I was on jobs, there would end up being another woman or a few women at different times. Um, where we get convoluted with the numbers is that I think that they lump us all into one number now. It's like, these are women in skilled trades and these are women in construction and they put us all together when we're not really the same. A woman in skilled trades is working on the tools and women in construction are often the ones that support us in the, in the office and they might be the engineers and the workforce development planners, all that kind of stuff, uh, HR departments. So I think the numbers get convoluted there. The industry for women in trades is still quite small but what happened is in the first few years yes you wanted that girl on site every now and then but you didn't always have that camaraderie that we would be looking for and you kind of got used to it and I I enjoyed being one of the workers whether it was one of the guys or one of the skilled trades professionals it didn't matter to me as long as I was doing my job I was still having fun and the banter was there um, what really started to change things is when social media came out. And luckily, it was only a few years into my apprenticeship where suddenly there was Facebook. And all of a sudden, there was all these groups coming out with Trade Women Chat and Sisters in the Trades. And that is when women from all over North America, especially, but globally, started to find each other. And it was crazy because there was some women who had been in the industry for like 20 years and never ran into another women on site. In fact, we had a couple in our in our Ironworkers International who didn't even know that there was other women in the industry. And they tried to blend in as just the guys on the site. Some of them actually made themselves appear to look like men to be accepted on the site. So thank goodness for social media that now a lot of the women in construction and women in skilled trades are finding that camaraderie and those other women and whether they're on the sites together or not, they still have that mentorship and support from those other women. Yeah. So I mean, like social media gets a lot of bad rap around just all the time we spend wasting and all that kind of stuff, but there, there is some social good. Yes. So, you know, from that standpoint, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I, I too have found that since I've been joining a variety of things, you know, you're just, you're hearing different conversations. Um, you're able to interact with people a little bit better and more regularly. Um, you're, got, you're learning about their experiences. That's partly why I'm doing this podcast. It's just, I want to have really great conversations with all these different women that are really killing it in their, in their, their jobs. It's just, it's amazing. I've had some really fantastic conversations and this one's probably going to be one of them that are up there as well um so 
you know, there's always some lessons learned as you go along the way. And, um, you know, you can reflect a little bit, but like maybe one or two of the biggest lessons, whether it was like something related to actually physically working on, on the job or maybe something different, um, like just throw out a couple of big lessons that you kind of learn and sort of stick with you. All right. So some of the biggest lessons that I've had to learn was to stop taking things really personally. Now I grew up with a good thick skin, a sense of humor. I was always like, I hung around with a lot of boys growing up. So I was used to that. Um, but the problem was, is, is a contractor in a union, things are very different. So when, when you're in a union, you're on a dispatch list and it goes like you're working yourself out of the job. So going out to these different jobs and knowing that eventually as the job slows down, you're going to get laid off. Um, that was a big thing that I, I you know, I, I was very steady with companies. I haven't worked with that many. I've always been lucky to stay on pretty steady um, and, and, and get that respect or credibility for being a good worker. Uh, but when the jobs would come down to the like to the bones at the end and everybody's kind of fighting for who's going to stay on the job longer that's when things started to get a little bit shaky on the job sites you know it started to become that dog eat dog world and just not taking things personally and understanding that you know people could get a little vicious when it comes to thinking that they might not have a paycheck coming in the next day due to a layoff um that was one of the biggest things and um yeah just having that good thick skin and sense of humor and learning that when people say no you can't do it or you shouldn't do it is not a reason to be oh I can't do this or to take things personally it's actually a reason to fight harder and prove them wrong yeah exactly awesome so I am similar to you I am a big advocate for people entering into the trades so why do you think people, but especially women should consider a career in the trades. Like uh, we, I have my experience, you have your experience. Like what would your like ad be? Why should we encourage more people and why should more people consider trades? Okay. I have, there are so many reasons. And now I want people to be aware that are listening to this, that a lot of people are posting stuff that is extremely misrepresentative of the trades online. We don't actually dance around with tools. We don't dress inappropriately. We don't uh, attract attention to ourselves for the wrong reasons. We're supposed to be there to work and do a job. And we have proper PPE tools and equipment that we're supposed to use in certain protocol and safety in every job site. So if you follow that safety protocol, then to me, that's sexy. Being safe and working properly is a lot sexier than dressing inappropriately or misrepresenting the trades. So that's a big thing I just wanted to get out there. But one of the reasons why I love being in the trades is because I love at the end of the day that I have gone to a job, I've done the physical labor, I've done stuff that people think, oh, well, women shouldn't do that. Well, I'm doing it and I'm doing it just the same as the guys and sometimes better. And I like the fact that when I walk away from the job at the end of the day, not only have I burned extra calories and I don't need a gym membership, I also like that I can see the results of what I did. And then I can brag about it to my friends and family and be like, I built that, I did this, I worked on that with my crew, I learned this today. And for somebody with ADHD, being able to learn to do something different all the time and not going into the same repetitive thing over and over and over again has been one of my the biggest things I love. Not to mention the paycheck. The paycheck is absolutely phenomenal. And I've been able to live a very, very sustainable life and live my dreams and do all, my, all the things on my bucket list because of my ability to be in the trades, to travel, work where I want and select the jobs that I want to be on. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great advertisement, man. 
um, so do you see any barriers to entry or retention um, for people entering the skilled trades? Um, some of the biggest barriers that I see right now, well, other than, you know, people thinking that this still isn't these great jobs, thankfully COVID proved to us that skilled trades are essential and we need them. But some of the barriers that I'm seeing oftentimes are people that just think they don't have what it takes to be in the skilled trades or people that are dropping out of school or ending up with those low marks or just quitting after high school because they don't know that the trades exist. And that becomes a barrier. There's also parents and educators that haven't been made aware of these. And so they're not um, you know, openly saying to their kids and their, their students, this is a career that you can get into. And then the biggest barrier that I'm seeing right now, and this is, I think, across the board, is that there are students that really want to get into the trades. They're pursuing that pathway. We have this big labor shortage, but then everybody turns around and says, well, no, we can't hire you because you don't have any experience. That's a big barrier. Yeah. How do you, how are you yeah. get experience if no one will hire you? Like, brutal. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you were just touching on the the educators and the parents and all that kind of stuff. So let's dive into your speaking career, uh, this kick-ass careers uh, work that you do. Tell me more about it. Where, where did it, what was the genesis sort of, you're, you're on the road 30 weeks a year, you're, you're speaking all over the place. Like, amazing. So tell me, like, tell me all about it. Oh, well, it was, I, it just, it just came. Um, I, I, I didn't do anything. I thought I wasn't doing anything to really make this explode the way it was. It's just that work would, you know, in the construction industry work kind of goes up and down. And I was recognizing sometimes that I would be the only girl on the job site, but it wasn't just specifically about being the only girl on the job site. I started realizing that a lot of my friends that had been in the same position as me in school that, you know, were high school dropouts that, that, or that had made some pretty bad decisions in life, were actually finding a lot of success in trades. And I was realizing, oh, these are the kids that had the learning disabilities, the ADHD, the inability to sit still. These are the kids that took shop class in school, did really well, and nobody told them about it. So it became very important for me to start educating future generations that, hey, I was that kid. I was that kid struggling to get picked on and bullied. I was that kid that hated sitting in school and would do anything to skip a class or dropped out of school. This is a career that you can get into because obviously the, many of these people are the ones that are hands-on learners. And just because they hate school doesn't mean that they're not intelligent. They're just intelligent in a different way. And I've seen a lot of them ended, ending up working as laborers or in mines. And so it became very apparent to me that this was something that was interesting to me. Now, the first time I ended up getting a computer later on in life, um, most of the world had signed up and got a computer by that point, but I finally got myself an email address and I got this message one day from this organization. I don't know how they got my email address, but it was Skills Ontario, which is part of the national chapter. So Skills Canada and all the provincial chapters. I got a message to go out to this young women's event to be a mentor at a table. And so I went. And then next thing you know, I'm being invited to more and more of these. And maybe every quarter of the year, I'm being invited to another one. I just sit at a table and talk about my experience. And I'm like, well, it's kind of boring, but you know, at least some kids are hearing my story. And then one day a panelist doesn't show up and somebody comes over to my table and says, Hey, um, we have this panelist didn't show up. Do you think you could get on the stage and be a panelist? And I'm like, 
oh my God, no, like I'm freaking out, but I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I got up, it was a really nerve wracking time and I ended up being this panelist. And then school teachers are like, hey, we heard that message and we thought it was really great. Would you come to our school? And then next thing I'm being offered my first keynote. And then it just, then I get invited to an educators conference and then teachers from all over Ontario are there. And that just kept spreading and spreading and spreading. And it started that I was being invited to all the women only or young girls only initiatives. And as it kept spreading and spreading, I started to see that there was more of a need to educate everybody, not just women. And so I started putting that out there and it opened up doors to more opportunities. And then I'll never forget the very first time I got invited to this professional panel panel for um, employers around the city and all this kind of stuff. And I was referred to as an expert on the recruitment and retention of youth in trades. And I was like, me, an expert? I'm a high school dropout. Like, what are you talking about? And, and, and then... Because of that, all of a sudden I'm getting messages from all industry across North America. Hey, will you come and do a keynote here? And now it's gotten to a point where I'm traveling 20 to 30 weeks around the province here, but I'm also, I've done tours out in BC. I've done tours down in the USA and now corporate industry is kind of grasping on and saying, Hey, we need whatever you're doing here. How do we do it? And then they call me and ask me to come down and do keynotes at events. So Eventually it just turned into what it is now. And I needed a, I needed a brand name. So I went to some high schools and asked some kids and they came up with kick-ass careers. Awesome. I <laughs> love it. So did you take any like speaking classes or lessons or you just get up there and wing it and you're just like a natural and you're just killing it every time? Well, if you looked at some of the videos that I hope have been removed from line now, the beginnings were really rough and I would get up and I was nervous and I was shaky. But as things evolved, I started to bring my tools and equipment. Next thing you know, one of the teachers, Mr. Um, Tim, uh, Tim says to me, he's like, you should dress the kids up in your gear and get them up on stage. Next thing you know, I'm dressing kids up and I'm bringing them on stage and my presentations are becoming more engaging. And then instead of asking industry how to present or going to a professional speaking association, which I was part of one for a couple of years, but the way I had learned how to speak was actually by doing my presentations and then following the presentations, pulling the audience or going over to that shop class and seeing what they're building and saying, okay, you guys heard my presentation. How can I make it better? And over time, the students are the ones that actually helped me refine my presentation to a point where when I asked the students what I could do to make it better, they were like, nothing. And right. that was it. So, what was some of the key feedback that you got from the students? Like, what is it they wanted to, to have you do differently? Well, first of all, when I first started doing this, I thought it was appropriate to be dressed up, like dressed up like an actual adult. And the students were like, well, you're not really connected with us when you're dressed up like an adult. We don't want to hear somebody stand up there that's like, you know, just stale. We want to see somebody that's like us. So I remember my niece taking me out and making me buy like, you know, more youthful looking clothes just for when I was standing on stages, which was good for me because that's how I liked to dress in my life outside. Like I'm just like a ripped rip jeans, wear t-shirts, Converse, Doug Martens kind of girl. Um, but that was acceptable to wear in the schools. And so I started dressing more age appropriate to my audience. So that was a big thing. Also, the way you worded things, making it relevant for kids and making them understand things. So rather than explaining being an iron worker is connecting structural steel together, I was referring to it in 
terminology that would be understood by students, like breaking it down. How would you explain being an iron worker to a kid? Well, you use a skeleton. We put the skeletons of bones together. What kind of things do we build that kids would love? We build roller coasters. And you just started identifying those things with the kids. And then just the way I told the stories too, they would be like, maybe you want to say it more like this. And even having just kick-ass as the terminology or the word for the company to represent the company also made a big impact because the kids can relate to the language. And it's a lot more interesting than hearing somebody from the skilled trades is here and they're going to do a presentation. You're like somebody from kick-ass careers and is here. And instead of sneaking and skipping class or running to the smoke pit, like I used to do, they run to the auditorium to hear the presentation. Just yeah. simple little thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, what do you feel has been like the most rewarding part of, of, of the kick-ass careers sort of segment of what you do in your life? Like, have you gotten any feedback from some of those earlier kids that you presented to? Have they come back around to say, hey, I listened to this and you sparked something in me and now I'm doing this? Have you had any like, of those moments for people coming back around and going, oh, I'm so glad I listened to you that day. And like, look what I'm doing now. Have you, have you been able to have those moments? My God, so many. And I, I remember the first one was a girl, Hannah, and she was a girl that was like, she was about to drop out of high school. She liked to fight. She was always causing problems at school. They forced her to come to the auditorium to hear my presentation. And when she actually did, she was like, kind of just sitting there like this negative student that didn't want to hear anything. And then I started talking about how badass the trades were. And that sparked her interest. And at the end of the presentation, I'll never remember this. Like, I still don't remember this to this day, but she she was one of the students that came to talk to me. Now, what I do is I'm not that speaker that pops in, does my presentation and pops out. I'll spend the rest of the day in the school. I'll hang out in the cafeteria. I'll go visit the shop classes. And because of that, it gave her an opportunity to get some time in to speak to me. And that was like the whole change in her life. So by the time um, about a year went by, I was at a competition for the Skills Ontario Provincial Competition, and I'm just strutting down this like walkway through a bunch of exhibitors, and this teacher says to me, oh my god, you're Jamie, and I was like, yeah, you came to our school, and you completely changed this girl's life, and we're here today because of her, and I was like, what, and all of a sudden, she comes walking, I don't recognize her at first, but there's like, this was Hannah, this is Hannah, and now because of you, she completely turned her life around, she's gone to every weld shop class, she shows up early, she leaves late, she did her math, she applied for a welding program out of college, and then she's hugging me, I'm crying, and that was the first experience of so many oh, wow. and I think it's it's that piece it's it's not just that piece of sitting in that room and doing that presentation it's that piece of actually interacting and giving them that human interaction with you that makes all the difference yeah yeah you're telling that story and it's like the hair of my arms just wrote I just such a beautiful story that's just so amazing <laughs> so awesome thank you oh wow it's one yeah. of many <laughs> yeah well like exactly like it, it's that non-tangible um reward like you can't say well I had this stack of whatever here and I you know busted up my tools now I have this structure over here it's it's like it's nebulous you can't really put your finger on exactly what it is but then here you have this this life that has been changed and for the better yeah. and forever yes right like to make yeah. that kind of impact I mean like 
Well, actually, some of them are on the team now. We have a kick-ass team. And some of the students that I reached out to in the schools are now part of the team. In fact, Deanne Durand um, is one of the people that I met when she was in grade 12 in her shop class. And we became like little buddies she became like my little sister and then when the guys would be in the class giving her a hard time and she texts me if I had nothing on the go I would be jumping in my car and I'd be going to hang out with her in that class and I got invited by her family to her graduation and I've been with her every step of the way and one day she just joined the team and I was like perfect so now she is paying it forward oh that's amazing I love it I love it love love it next time you come out to BC make sure uh, you let me know because we'll definitely have to get together and have dinner, coffee, drinks, whatever. Because I think, uh, yeah, I just, I love what, love what you're doing. Okay. All right. Well, is there anything else that you would want to share with anybody who's listening, who may, might be considering the trades as a woman in trades, as maybe a younger woman or girl that's in high school, like any sort of like nuggets of anything else that you just want to throw out there for as to chew on. For sure. There, there's so many people that doubt themselves and we all have, a, a, you know, we all have self-confidence issue, issues at time and we think we can't do things and we allow ourselves to believe those things that we tell ourselves. And if we believe those things, we may not live the life that we want. And because of that insecurity, sometimes we don't take those steps. I'm going to say, if you have a passion to do something, whether it be in the skilled trades or anything else, I hope it's in skilled trades, then just take the plunge and get out there and do it. I mean, I, I remember being on the site. I didn't know the names of the tools. I didn't know what to expect. I knew nothing, nothing about my career, but every single day I learned more. I became confident. I learned more about the tools and how to do things. And it got to the point where I was just so eager to go to work that for somebody who hates getting out of bed in the morning, I'd be up before my alarm clock went off. Cause I'm like, what am I going to learn today? How much stronger am I going to get today? And it was just, it didn't matter what other drama might be going on because we're, we're always going to have drama somewhere going on in the workplace and in our lives. It didn't matter. That stuff didn't matter. All that mattered was when I got to work, I got to do these things that just lit up my world, like watching a bee get laid down or watching a torch cut through the steel and being able to put it together. And then, you know, I, I, we all want validation, but those times when I've had people that say I couldn't do the job and then I proved them wrong and then I had men that were so grizzly and like Neanderthal men come up to me at the end of the job and be like, wow, you proved you proved me wrong. And they'd shake your hand and tell you like, I'll work with you any day. You know, it's thank you for proving to me that women can be in the industry. And then at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I appreciate that you're saying this to me right now. And I appreciate that you have now given me validation when you were such a mean person to me in the beginning, but I don't want to be referred to as a woman in this industry. I am a skilled trades professional. I am an equal and I want to be treated as such. So just go for what you want to do and expect to be treated like an equal equal and represent the industry properly and you will do good. Oh yeah. No, there's so many little things in there. You know, the first of which is like the negative self-talk that a lot of us have, you just got to ditch it. And you know, the, you know, the opportunities that come, you just, you stick up your hand and you say yes, because that will lead to the next one, which I think will lead to the next one. And there's been times where I've gone, well, what's the worst that will happen if I try this or I do this? Well, the worst that'll happen is I'll figure out that that's not what I like, or yeah, okay, maybe I won't, you know, totally excel at it, but at least then I now have like crossed off the list, kind of like, you know, 
trying to invent the the light bulb. It was like whatever two thousand times, and you know, finally the last one worked. It's like you just need to keep going, keep going. And the thing, yeah, I just every opportunity that comes up, you just got to stick up your hand and say, "Yeah, I'm going to try that." Absolutely. Yeah. And accept yeah. failure because we all learn by failing. Oh yeah, you're going to fail. But you know, we can within that. It's not like it's a total complete like belly flop. It's like, oh, I could have maybe swum a little better, right? Like it's not like you're totally yep. like dying on on the road um and then the other thing that you were mentioning in there which i totally resonates for me is just this feeling of being empowered when you know how to use tools and like you just there's just something so empowering about it and it seems so silly because you know like people use tools all the time but you know there's a lot of people out there men and women both that are afraid of tools like they don't know how they operate. They're afraid they're going to get hurt. You know, especially things that are like, you know, saws and like you know, things that are like power operated, you know, and to be able to be confident and be able to like do whatever the, the task is at hand. And again, really transferable from one thing to another. Like, it's just so empowering. And I, I just, I just love it. You know, I can go down to my shop and I can do whatever I need to do. I've made a little shelf or I do this or do that. Like, you know, it, it's just so empowering. And I think that that yeah. leads more and more confidence, you know, as you roll along. And then when you basically strut onto a job site, you're like, don't mess with me. I know what I'm doing. And then, yeah. and, and then skill is the great equalizer, right? Like yep. with your story about that the man who came up to you and was like, hey, yeah, I totally was throwing shade your way. But now, you know, I, I see what you've done and I, you know, you've changed my mind. Like, fantastic, right? Yeah. Amazing. So talking about tools and feeling empowered, what is your favorite tool? Ah, well, I have it right here. It's a spud wrench. So iron workers are known for our spud wrenches. We always have two on our belts and they cling when we walk because they hang in what's called a frog and they always ting and chime. So we, our chimes are going off all the time, but these are the tools that we use to connect steel. So we use the pointy port part to align the holes and then we slide the bolts through and then we use the open ends to tighten the bolts. So these come in all different shapes and sizes, but for the most part, these are the standard size that you would use on every uh, job site. And if you read my bio at the beginning, you'd see that my cat's name was Spud. His actual name is Spud Wrench and he was named after my favorite tool. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I was like, hmm, it's probably where that name came from. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I always like to, to find the humor and everything. So, and I, you can totally say I don't have one, but do you have a favorite trade joke? There's so many oh, I do. out there about the trades. I just, you know, we hear them all all the time. Is there one that comes to mind or that's a favorite for you? Yes, because especially when you're either a new person on a job site or you're an apprentice or you're working with a bunch of guys that have been there for a long time and they have all these ideas of how to do things. Well, I worked for this one guy, Chris, so I have to give him credit for this, but um, I would be on a job site and you know, you're, you have in your mind what you think you would do and it doesn't matter because you can blurt out what you want to do and everybody else has ideas and if they've been there longer than you or they have this rapport going on, they're going to think of a hundred different ways to do it and they're going to kind of ignore your way to do it and you can't take that personally it's just 
them doing whatever they have to do. And then all of a sudden, sometimes out of the blue, one of them comes up with the exact same ideas you had all along and tried to voice to them. And then they do it and it works perfectly fine. And then you say, yeah, that's what I told you guys to do from the beginning. Well, that happened a couple of times. And then this one foreman, his name was Chris on this job. And one day he just turned around, he looked right at the guys and he goes, you know, She's not just lips and hair. She actually has a brain up in there. And so now every time this light bulb goes off and something I suggest works and everybody's like blown away, I'm like, well, I'm not just lips and hair. <laughs> so it's just, awesome. it's become my little thing that I always say. That's awesome. I love it. All right. Well, Jamie, thanks again so much for chatting with me today. I'm so excited to see what comes next for you. And I'd love to see you on stage one day. Um, so maybe one of these times when you head out to BC, let me know and I'll, I'll cruise over and, and, uh, support you and see what you're up to. And, you know, Absolutely. my, my hat goes off to you. I am, I am so proud to know what, what you do and how you support and how you advocate for trades and everybody else in your world. Um, you know, it's just been a real pleasure to get to know you. So thank you again for coming on the show. No problem, but I'm going to mention one thing before we go, because it is not in my bio, but I have started another opportunity. So in April, I took on a consulting position on top of everything else, and now I'm helping with an organization called Helmets to Hard Hats. And what we do is we reach out to veterans and their immediate families, because a lot of times when veterans are coming out of their services with Canadian Armed Forces, they don't have any civilian training to transition back to a regular lifestyle. And a lot of them are still fairly young, sometimes even under 30 years old. And so Helmets to Hard Hats is a really am amazing program that works with veterans and their immediate families. We work with senior cadets, um, reservists, and any other Canadian Armed Forces um, uh, members. And what we do is we help them transition back into positions within skilled trades, apprenticeships, or even management roles in uh, construction companies. So I'm really proud to be a consultant with them as well. That sounds like it would be such an amazing service to be offered for someone who's served their country and coming back and trying yeah. to find their, their feet again as a civilian. I mean, that transition, we, I mean, we see movies, we hear news articles, all that kind of stuff, you know, just how challenging that transition can be and having yeah. a service like this out there, I think is amazing. So, wow, I love it. I just love it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm pretty proud to be on the team. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been it's been a real uh, a real wonderful thing to be able to see that the people that gave so much to us, there's something to give back to them. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, everybody, you heard it here, Jamie, badass, amazing woman that she is. I work a boilermaker. She's a keynote speaker. She runs kick-ass careers, and she's also a consultant for Helmets to Hard Hats. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for listening. And I really appreciate it. So be sure to check out our other episodes in this and all of the other All Things Renovation series podcasts, episodes. And until next time, keep being badass at whatever trade you're in. Thanks for listening. And I hope you feel as inspired as I do. If you or someone you know has interest in the trades, there are many resources, many programs and supports. There's also a ton of women's groups out there specifically for those who are in the trades. We'll list a number of them in the show notes, but be sure to reach out if you're having challenges finding some in your area. We're all in this together after all, and we're happy to help in any way we can.